The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God as the church has summarized and confessed it in Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 18, we have the church's confession as follows. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counterpledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. And after the sermon, we will begin to respond by singing together hymn 40, the stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 18 has a slightly different character than most of the other Lord's Days. We just read from it, and you probably noticed that question and answer 47 and 48 goes much deeper into doctrine than many other places. There you have the confession as it concerns the two natures of our Lord. And the Catechism works out in a beautiful way how these natures are different from each other and yet also united in the one person. However, that's only two of the four question and answers that we have before us. There's also 46 and 49. And they deal with the ascension of the Lord Jesus from a slightly different angle. Here the focus is not so much on doctrinal explanation, but it's on the fact that the ascension of Christ was both real and it was for our benefit. Let's work this out a little bit. On the one hand, the Catechism addresses the reality of Christ's ascension in answer 46, 
It says that his ascension happened before the eyes of his disciples. It means that there were reliable witnesses to this event. We're not just dealing with an oral legend. It was something that was witnessed, something that could be backed up by the claim of the 11 disciples. And furthermore, the reality of his ascension is also confessed in the fact that we know his final destination. It'd be one thing to say that Christ had left this earth, but then to leave it at that would have left the obvious question of where he had gone. But the angels who spoke to the disciples immediately after the ascension addressed that question. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, and they go on from there as you read it in Acts chapter 1, a claim that Jesus was gone but no one knew where he was, that's hard to believe. But the confession that Christ is gone and went up into heaven, that helps us to understand a little more what's happening here. Then we understand that his ascension was not just him leaving this earth. It was him going into heaven to effectively apply his work. It was not about Christ getting away from everything for a while after a busy three-year public ministry. It was about how he could further benefit his people. That makes it clear that the ascension is not a topic that's meant to be debated in and of itself. This afternoon, we are not dealing with abstract theology that never touches down in our daily lives. Instead, the Catechism makes it clear that Christ being in heaven rather than on earth is completely for our good. And that was what we will focus on this afternoon as I proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme. The ascension of Christ was for our benefit. And we'll look at those three benefits. We have an advocate, we have a pledge, and we have a counter-pledge. Well, answer 46 of the Catechism simply states that the ascension of Christ was for our benefit. It works this out a little more fully in answer 49. And yet when you look at that particular answer, there's not a lot of elaboration on each of these benefits. Each one is stated in a relatively short and succinct manner. But there's a lot of detail that we can dig out from them first benefit is that he is our advocate in heaven before his father. Well, that leads to a few questions. What exactly is an advocate? What does it mean that Christ is our advocate before his father? Why does the catechism refer to God in this way as his father rather than being the judge or our father? And finally, why do we even need an advocate before the father? Well, to start out with, an advocate is someone who speaks to another party on behalf of someone else. They don't speak for themselves, they represent another. According to one dictionary, an advocate is someone who speaks in defense of another person, who pleads on behalf of another, and who at times even performs this task officially in a court of law. 
So right away, you get that sense of representation with an advocate. And some might think immediately in terms of a defense lawyer. The defense lawyer represents his client. He tries to convince the judge or the jury that his client is not guilty of the crime they are accused of. All these things are true when it comes to the work of an advocate. But when we think of an advocate in the biblical sense, there's a slightly different direction. Normally, an advocate in this world is neutral. They're not personally invested in the situation. In the end, the only thing at stake for the advocate is their own reputation. But the Catechism does use this word advocate very intentionally. It comes directly from 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So now we see a little bit more about our ad, the work of our advocate before the Father. He's not pleading for us in the sense that he's trying to get us a better life. He's not representing us because we believe that we have been treated wrongly by another and now we're suing or we want retribution or we want payment. No, Christ is our advocate to deal with the reality of our sin. Each time we sin, he pleads our cause before the Father. He reminds his Father that no, that sin does not count against them. And he has a vested interest in pleading our cause as well. He has far more at stake than just his own reputation. Because what he is pleading on is his own precious blood shed on the cross. He pleads every time on the work of salvation that he has accomplished by his victory over sin and Satan. Every single time that we fall into sin because of our natural weakness, the Son goes before the Father in our defense so that judgment never falls on us. Now, when you think about that, it is quite something to state that the eternal Son of God is our advocate. It's a powerful confession to make that Jesus Christ speaks to God on our behalf. We're not just talking about a human that we've hired to take on our case. We are talking about the eternal Son of God, the one who is seated in glory at the right hand of God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. But who then do we think we are that he can plead our cause before the Father? The more we, re we reflect on the glory of our Lord, the more we feel inadequate to have him in such a position we begin thinking that we need people who are a little bit better than us, more holy than us, and they can speak to Christ on our behalf. And then you get the Roman teaching regarding prayer to saints. Since we're not worthy to go right to the top in the chain of command, 
we'll speak to those a little bit lower, and then they can take our cause up the chain. And yet that's not the way that God has set things up. No, the whole purpose of Christ's ascension was so that you as an individual believer might have an advocate who pleads your cause before the Father. Christ went into heaven so that he might intercede for you in your moments of weakness and every time you fall into temptation. And when we speak about Christ interceding on our behalf, doing so as our advocate, then we're talking about his continuing work as our only high priest. And in Scripture, there's a direct connection between the ascension of Christ and his continuing work. We read about it in Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In the temple of the Old Testament, the high priest would pass from the sight of the people as he went into the most holy place. He was completely hidden from their sight. But the people knew that he had entered that specific part of the temple. They knew he had not just gone to hide from them, but that he was there for their benefit. Well, the same thing has happened with our great high priest. He too has passed from our sight through his ascension. Only this time, he has not passed into a most holy place here on earth. He entered into what the most holy place actually represented, namely heaven itself. The most holy place on earth was only a copy of the true thing. And now with the ascension of Christ, we have one who dwells not in the copy, but who is seated at the right hand of God. We have one who does not enter into the most holy place for a short time only to come out again a little while later. We have one who is seated there in glory from now on. And he's there out of our sight to plead our cause, to stand in our place, and each and every time that we sin, to remind his father about the forgiveness of sins which he obtained by his death. So what a wonderful benefit we have, knowing that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's in heaven for us. He's there pleading our cause before his Father so that sin is never counted against us. And who's better qualified for that task? Who would you rather have bring your case before the Father? If it were even possible, would you actually want to have to trust some saint to bring it up that ladder for you? Would you want to have to trust someone who has nothing to offer God either? Or do you want your, want your cause defended by the one who gave up everything for you, who died in your place so that you might have the forgiveness of sins? That's actually something addressed in Belgian Confession Article 26. This article has the heading, Christ's Intercession. It's a rich source of comfort for believers that should be read from time to time. And there are some incredibly powerful statements made there that we will briefly consider. 
In the first place, this article states the confession that there is no creature who loves us more than Jesus Christ. There is no creature who loves us more than Jesus Christ. And that is the one who pleads your cause before the Father. It's the one who loved us more than anyone else in creation. It's the one who proved his love by giving up all his glory, by humbling himself completely in his suffering and death, and who did so even while we were still his enemies. And the Belgian Confession also adds, moreover, who will be heard more readily than God's own well-beloved Son? Christ is not pleading for, before an uncaring judge who doesn't care either way. He is pleading for us before his own Father, the one who spoke from heaven, the one who said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And who is the father going to listen to more readily than his own son? Brothers and sisters, now you see what a rich and a wonderful benefit it is that Christ has ascended into heaven. It's all about our benefit. It's all about him applying his work in the most efficient manner possible. Because with his human nature, Christ is limited by time and space. As a human, he can only be in one place at one time. If he were here on earth, he could only be here on earth. Then we would have no one pleading before the Father. No one speaking to the Father in our defense. But now he is there before God, speaking to God every time that we sin. And he's doing so not on the basis of subjective evidence that can be interpreted in different ways. No, he's pleading on the basis of everything that he accomplished during his time here on earth. We have the best advocate possible speaking in our defense. Christ's ascension was not about escaping anything. It was all about what is best for his people. The first benefit of our Lord's ascension speaks about the present. The second benefit directs us to the future. It's like a map pointing us in the direction of our final destination. We have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. This is not the first time that we've come across a pledge in the catechism. We encountered it in Lord's Day 17 as well. There we confess that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our glorious resurrection. Well, here in Lord's Day 18, that same thinking is applied. Having our flesh in heaven is a sure pledge to us that we will be completely reunited with our Lord and Savior where He currently is. Now, what exactly is a pledge? 
pledge is something physical. It serves as a security for the payment of a debt or the fulfillment of a promise. It's like a down payment. With the down payment, there is the promise that the full payment will be made in the future. Down payment guarantees that fact. And that is what having our Savior in heaven is for us as people. A sure pledge that God's promise will be completely fulfilled in its time. Having our flesh in heaven is a sure pledge to us that our future is not some existence where body and soul are separated forever, but at God's time, they will be joined back together. Then we shall be with Christ, body and soul, for all eternity. And this is not the first time that we've heard such good news about what awaits us in the future. But it is important that we connect this good news to the ascension of our Lord. Because when he went up into heaven, he did so as a person. He went into heaven bearing his human nature. The truth is he could have left his human nature behind here on earth. He could have simply ascended in his divine nature. But he went up as a resurrected person, bearing his human nature the entire time. And that was entirely for our benefit. It's a clear sign that our flesh is not to be despised, but that it also has a glorious future. We're not going to have some kind of unknown, disembodied existence. No, our future is one where body and soul are perfectly reunited in glory. And that's not only God's promise, but it's a confirmed promise. The down payment is that we already have our flesh in heaven because Christ went up as a real human being, bearing our flesh. And furthermore, the ascension of the Lord Jesus is a sure pledge of God's promise that there will be a reunion. Not just a reunion of body and soul, there's going to be a family reunion. All brothers and sisters united by faith in the ascended Lord, they will be together with the one who is first born among many brothers. And we know from the Gospels that the reality of Christ departing was something that caused the disciples grief. And we can understand that. After all, goodbyes are not always easy. We like to be together. Even with all our social media and our amazing forms of communication, we don't want to be separated by distance. We want to have fellowship together, be together. And that's not only true with our personal relationships, it's also true with regards to our Lord and Savior. Think about that, brothers and sisters. What a thing it would be if we could talk to Christ right now, face to face. How amazing wouldn't it be to sit down and have a conversation with him? How amazing would it be to walk with him, to hear his voice as he would teach us? How many of us would ever turn down that opportunity? But the fact that Christ has ascended into heaven, it is a sure pledge that one day we will have that opportunity. One day we will see him face to face, 
We'll dwell with him in perfect fellowship. And even more, we will celebrate with him at the great marriage feast of the Lamb. You see, brothers and sisters, the head of the church and the members of the Catholic Church will be together. That's also what we confess in answer 49. Here the catechism uses the language of a body. The head is not meant to be separated from the body. If that's the case, you have a serious problem. And so the head of the church, while still united to his members by faith and by the Spirit in the present, he will be completely and perfectly united with them in glory. And the fact that Jesus Christ is currently in heaven, that is the sure pledge to us that eventually we will be where he is. That's part of the reason for his ascension. Again, it was not because he needed a break. It was not because he needed to get away from people for a time. No, it was so that he could be with his people, but not here on earth, not here in this world filled with brokenness and with sin and misery. He fully intended to be with his members in perfection. And the reason he departed was to begin making that a reality. As he told his disciples in John 14, he was leaving to go and prepare a place for them that they may be where he is. He was going to get their place ready so that rather than being separated forever, they and all believers may be reunited with their head, but on his terms. Not reunited in weakness, but in complete perfection. Again, you see how the ascension of our Savior is for our benefit. He's our advocate in the present. He's our pledge for a perfect reunion in glory. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about our benefit. And it is an, an amazing truth that even after he had obtained our salvation, he continues to work it out for us. He continues to work it out until we are together with him. However, that's not only meant to be a comfort for us, it's also meant to encourage us as we eagerly await that reunion between the head and his members. The third benefit outlined in answer 49 is also the most detailed before we start to look at that benefit, there's the question of what exactly is a counter-pledge? At first, it seems like the counter-pledge would come from the one who received the first pledge. And according to that thinking, since we have received the pledge of our flesh in heaven, we would be the ones offering the counter-pledge. However, in this case, the counter-pledge is not a response from the one who received the first pledge. It's a second pledge from the original source. It's a second guarantee from our ascended Lord. It's a pledge given to us so that we never forget where our true home really lies, even though we are not there yet. The counter pledge is the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit who is with us until we reach our final home. But he's not just like a guide for a journey. He's much more than that. He helps us every day to realize 
that we are not yet home, that the journey must continue, and in order to reach our destination, we must keep our eyes focused on that destination. The reality is we want to be home. Home is where people are comfortable, where they feel like they truly belong. After being gone for a while, so many people long to be home in their own comfort zone. And it's human nature that we quickly make our home here on this earth where we are right now. We get caught up in the things that belong to this world. We get distracted. We get bogged down. We lose sight of where our true home really lies. But then it's the work of the Holy Spirit to keep us focused on the things that belong to our true home and not the place where we currently are. As we confess in our catechism, it's by his power that we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. So it's the Holy Spirit who shifts our focus to the things that belong to our heavenly home and not the things that belong here on earth. And that's also what the Apostle Paul wrote about in our scripture reading. Right away in verse 1, we hear the command to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Yes, the catechism is directly quoting the words of Colossians 3. But not only are we to seek the things that are above, we are to set our minds on them as we read in verse 2. And if you look further in our passage, then you see that this involves putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Read that in verses 9 and 10. The new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And as soon as we hear about something being renewed, then our attention is directed to one place, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's through His process of renewal that He points us where we need to be focused. And brothers and sisters, if our home is in heaven with the Lord of life, and that is where our attention should be at all times as well. We shouldn't be bothering with the things that belong to this earth. And of course, we're speaking here about matters that are sinful, things that have no place in our final home. The apostle lists many things that belong to this world that we should be ignoring, fighting against, having nothing to do with. And then he lists many things on the other hand that we should be busy with. You find these different things listed in the remaining verses of our reading, so we don't need to mention them all again. And it's important that we focus on the right things because these things that occupy our time, these things that occupy our attention, these attitudes that we have, it all shows what we really believe about our final home. If we're busy with the things here on earth, that shows that the earth is our real priority. Then it's here that we want to settle. It's here we want to dwell. It's here that we want to establish ourselves and build a permanent home. But if that is the case, we will not have an eternal home with the Lord. It is impossible for the believer to say that right now, the present is about myself, establishing myself, ruling my own little kingdom, and yet I look forward to being with the Lord of life and living with Him. Those two don't line up. 
And if it were left up to us, we would settle down right here. Then we would find all the things of the world attractive and desirable. As we read in verse 7, these things of the world are the things in which we too used to walk. With our old nature, those things are the dominant focus of life. But now things are different. Now we know that Jesus Christ has set us free from that old way of life. It was confirmed by his death and by his resurrection. The catechism is continuing to build on what was previously confessed in the previous Lord's days. It's because of everything that he accomplished on our behalf, because we share in all his blessings through faith, that he now calls us to focus on our heavenly destination, the eternal home that he has established for us. And to make double sure that we know about the certainty of this home, he sends his Holy Spirit so that already now we begin to focus on that home. It is only by the Spirit's power and strength at work within us that our focus is changed. So brothers and sisters, the focus of the third benefit here it's not to motivate us to go home and say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to do more. Not at all. Now, the focus of the third benefit of Christ's ascension is to drive us to our knees faster, to pray more earnestly for the Spirit's work in us, to change us, to transform us, so that by His power, our focus is completely pointed in the right direction. It's a prayer that he focus us on the things of heaven more than anything else. We pray that rather than focusing on the things of this world, our focus be more orientated on the things that God requires. We pray that rather than being centered around ourselves and our own glory and our own reputation, our life increasingly becomes centered around God and his glory. We pray that through the Spirit's work, the things of this world lose their attraction and the treasures of the kingdom of heaven more clearly shine in all their luster and beauty. And eventually, it is the things that are above that will be our only focus. Then the things of this sinful world will no longer exist. It will happen when we dwell forever with our ascended Lord in glory in his kingdom. But right now, the Spirit helps us to prepare by focusing on the things that belong to this new life. It's to our benefit, already now, that we have an advocate in heaven before the Father. Because yes, we still fall short in focusing on those things that matter. But he is there pleading for us. He's there for our benefit. It's to our benefit that we can look forward to a future in glory. And it's to our benefit that our life is increasingly focused on our heavenly home. And so then we may sing with joy, blessed be the ascended Lord, who on our way provides for us and day by day upholds us by his power. Amen.